This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on leaves, flowers and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattle bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Well, welcome to Community of Chaos. Hopefully, friends will have more community and less chaos. And today we have with us Jim O'Malley, the uh, Dedean City Councilor and Chair of the Infrastructure Services Committee and DCC Representative on the Otago Southland Regional Transport Committee. And we'll be talking about the Three Waters Reform Plan plus other items. Well, welcome aboard, Jim. Sure, Marvin. It's good to be on board again. And also, welcome to the listeners to the fact that you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. Well, you were involved in the beginning of Acho, the chocolate factory. Can you tell us very briefly how that began, and how's it doing? I understand they have a tasting room now. Um, yeah, we, um, well, I think most listeners would remember that when the Cadbury factory closed, we did a community response to that, and my ambition was to keep chocolate manufacturing going in the city, and the outcome of that in the end was we bought Liz Rose Company in Vogel Street and turned it into the bigger version, which is now the modern nacho, um, and we're down at Robert Streets in our factory now making craft chocolate. Um, we got pretty much hammered by COVID, but we have done what other businesses do and pivoted, as they say, um, and we're getting through the other side of that now, and you may be aware that we just went out and put another 500000 into the company, and that's for new equipment and for targeting Auckland, and the upside of that is we've had quite a lot of people come towards us, so while COVID went through a deep trough, we're looking pretty good going into the future. Well, that's a good vote of confidence. Both in the uh, chocolate business and in the ability for New Zealand to produce uh, other things besides tourism and coffee. Yeah, well, I think it. You know, we are making high-end chocolate, and I think that's the trick with New Zealand manufacturing. You need to be making a product that um, relates to the kind of wages you pay people working in your factories and stuff like that. You can't really compete on the international labour market, really. Um, so, you know. There's not, manufacturing is by no means dead in New Zealand. I think we just need to be manufacturing at the high end. 
Aren't there things we can do that New Zealand needs in New Zealand? Like, um, don't we need to improve rail structure? Couldn't we uh, make more of our own rail cars and maybe even some of our own engines? Uh, might be better luck than some of the uh, rail, uh, some of the wagons we got from China. Well, I think that is a philosophy that um, needs challenging, not yours, but the current philosophy out there in terms of buying the cheapest and bringing it in. I do, from what I recall, um, a number of those engines that came in from China had to be refitted upon arrival, as did the wagons. So while they were cheaper, they ended up having a significant amount of labour costs put in them once they arrived here because they weren't up to spec. And I think you've got to ask yourself this question about how good is it for your economy to just destroy all of that employment for the sake of a savings when, in fact, maybe that savings doesn't even add up when you consider the cost that you've done when you've actually made all those people unemployed. So, yeah, we should be and could be manufacturing stuff not only for us but also for the world. We used to be, manu- you know, we're, we're very proud of our agricultural quality. Uh, and there's no reason our manufacturing quality couldn't be that good as well. Well, we've heard a lot about water recently. Mm-hmm. And we've known for decades that water in New Zealand was, has major problems with much of it contaminated and undrinkable. As water in general has grown more polluted and even cities like Auckland ha- are having water shortages with climate change that's will only get worse. And local bodies have neglected their water and wastewater infrastructure. Many local bodies cannot afford to finance their infrastructure. It seems clear that reform across local body water infrastructure is necessary. So what are your concerns about the three-water reform? That's a a pretty um, multifaceted question there. Um, I do want to challenge a couple of comments in that, and that is that um, most of our water, most of our water is undrinkable. The, oh, actually, most the, of it probably is drinkable, isn't it? Yeah, well, by far and away, the, the large urban centres are all fully compliant when it comes to drinkable water. And the issues that we face in terms of people who are being made sick by drinking water are almost all coming from very small um, rules, um, not even schemes. Often it's not like a, a camping ground that has its own water or a house that people are off um, roof supply. Um and yet, and yet I believe what's happened here is that the government has gone forward with a package that I think has been put together by Water New Zealand and Infrastructure New Zealand um, and gone forward with a set of advertisements that the um, PSA has just recently come in with a finding saying we're in fact misleading and, and somewhat untruthful. And, and it, is, it, it makes going forward with this which this reform, which I do believe is important and needs to get done, it makes for going forward it very difficult when you when one of the players, and that player is the government, is actually putting forward an argument that is not based on numbers, but based on rather emotive statements. Um, a good example is in the last time that Dunedin was assessed, it had a 100% compliance in drinking water. Um, and, and if you think about what happened at Waikawaiti with the lead readings, that was a best practice. We, there was no lead in the mains, but a couple of metre points showed sporadic lead measurements. So as a good practice, we put in a no-drink notice, and somehow that got converted into you've been polluting the water with lead, which actually was never the case. When the analysis was done at the end, then no lead was ever in the mains. Um, so 
I do find it frustrating as we're trying to get into this reform that, that, that in fact, we're being painted in a way which is not particularly accurate. The local bodies have neglected their water and wastewater infrastructure. It's fair to say that many local bodies have been underinvesting in it, and, and it's no doubt that Dunedin is one of those. However, when Havelock North occurred, which I think now is four years ago, we read the Havelock North um, report and said there will be change coming, and and the water three waters team was given instructions to go back and reassess our asset management plan. And as a consequence of that, you'll see that we've doubled our spend in, in, in three waters this year, and we will double it again by the end of the decade. But that doubling by the end of the decade is not because of our unwillingness to spend on it now. It's that there actually are not enough people out there to actually execute the work. Um, so we are on a program that will bring – we went from a slightly underinvested and somewhat old sections of the network to a properly invested system that will be fully into that in the next 10 years. So the crisis, I think, needs to be, needs to be checked a little bit here. I really don't think that – certainly do not think Dunedin. I know Christchurch doesn't. I know Invercargill don't. Timaru does not think that they're in crisis. So – I am challenging the Department of Internal Affairs to name the councils that are in crisis because we're hearing that councils are in crisis and all the councils are turning back and saying it's not us. So who is it? I mean, I'll name one. One is Clutha. They've grossly underinvested for years. Um, but I don't think that that should then turn around in a wholesale removal of assets from all councils to form these water entities. And I guess that's my concern about the three waters reform. I'm quite happy to go forward with the changes in requirements for um, standards um, and, and, and better control of asset management plans. But the idea that you would then turn it into four large water entities is, to me, a step too far. How would you see smaller local bodies financing their infrastructure, not just water but, and wastewater, but other necessary Items. Well, transport is already co-funded by central government. So 50% of your road spending is, is co-funded by NZTA or Waka Kotahi. Um, and we've put that suggestion back to the government and the government has said that we won't tax water, so therefore you won't, we won't do that model. And I guess my answer, to that, my answer to that answer is we didn't ask you to tax water. We're asking you as central government to acknowledge that small councils will suffer, are having trouble doing direct burden um, but I also remember you're taking money out of your left pocket to put it into your right pocket if you're getting um, central government to fund it because they're going to have to fund it through taxes. So what we'll really be talking about then is a, an increase in the general tax rate used to distribute money back to the smaller councils to deal with their infrastructure problems. But I, I'd like also to point out, like Westland Council, who is strongly opposed to this, none of their drinking water plants are more than 10 years old. And the only plant that they financed themselves was Hikatikas, and that was done along with Westland Dairy, who are a big user there. The rest of them, small ones like Fox and Kumara and Whakaroa, were all financed by COVID relief fund from the central government, and they did it for $20 million. So I would say the government has $2 billion put aside for putting this four-water entity plan in place. $2 billion just to start the plan. Why don't they just give that $2 billion to the small councils? 
and let them come up to speed. We're asking basically to look at the numbers again and, and really seriously ask, why are you doing this? When again, you're going to put 2 billion into just putting these structures in place. And just before the election, they put 6 billion into infrastructure without a blip. Well, that would easily pay for all of the councils to catch up. Why are they doing this then? I genuinely believe that this is a push in the background from Infrastructure New Zealand who are wanting to bring in um, large bodies that they believe would perform better because it's effectively the old business model that went in behind electricity reform. And the believers believe in it, and those who don't believe in this are opposing it. But I don't think... I don't think this is really, this is not a case of local governments were fully consulted with and talked about and then we went forward with a plan. And that's why so many councils are in opposition to it. You explained about the difficulty with non-binding agreements that the DC has already signed. Um, that non-binding agreement has already um, timed out. So that was in the first session is, is that you got, um, we got 7 million directly and then another 7 million as part of our target south from spend to spend on three waters and to, and to provide back to the government a full business analysis of our asset management plan and going forward, um, what our challenges were. So that work was done, um, by a company called Morrison Lowe. And it predicted that by 2050, our water bill would rise from, it's around about $1,000 an hour to around about $2,300, or $2,500. And if we went into a water entity, it'd be $2,300. Effectively the same number. Some people may be saying that since we're this government's determined to take over water, then why are we funding infrastructure improvements now? Why not wait for the government to do it all? Oh, well, um, if you don't have it in your long-term plan now, it's long-term investment for your city that you believe is something that you genuinely believe you need to do, then when that entity forms, it's going to look at your forward work, work program and say, that's what you guys decided you needed. So, <laughs> so if we pull back the work now, then we're not going to have much negotiating power with the companies whose head offices in Christchurch, who said that you've only put in, um, you know, $500 million worth of work, and now you're asking for $800 million worth. You suggested that uh, uh, Christchurch will probably have the biggest say for this region because of their size. Yet Christchurch also opposes the Three Waters Reform Plan. Why have mo they and most other local bodies opposed it? And wasn't it supposed to be a voluntary system that people joined? Well, you see, that's you probably hit on your, your last sentence is probably the part that hits the, hits the hardest. Um, so Christchurch City opposes it um, because, again, they actually don't need it at all. Um, um, so when I said that this office will be in Christchurch, it's not that Christchurch City will call the calls, but basically it will be an independent organisation that deals at arm's length with all councils, just happens to have its office in Christchurch. And the further you away from a head office of any organisation, the harder it is to influence it. So it's not good for us. Um, it's taken us a long time to get um, the government's attention based in Wellington on some of the stuff we need to do. So we almost never do well when control moves away. Christchurch City um, opposes the three-water entity, but again, does not oppose the reforms. Um, neither does Waimakariri. Um, and in fact, almost every council supports the reforms. They just 
do not support the formation of the entities because they believe the entities are a step too far and that we, we are going to so completely lose local control when it happens. Well, what, what would the reforms contain if without the entities? Oh, so it's in two parts, and the first part's already completed. So the Water Services Bill is already law, and that formed the water regulator, Tamata Arawai. And that, that takes water regulation control out of district health boards and goes to this regulator, and which is a big improvement because the district health boards were not, are not well equipped for doing this job. It probably made sense in the 1920s, but it doesn't make sense now. Um, the regulator determines the quality of your water, your drinking water, how you, how you treat it, how you test for it, how good is your articulation system. It looks at your wastewater treatment plants what kind of material are they discharging, where are they discharging it to, all that sort of stuff. So it will set the standards. Now, everybody agrees that the standards have been set a little low, especially in, in, in wastewater treatment, um, and that the DHBs really weren't equipped to do the job. So everybody supports the formation of tomato ROI and they support the increased standards, and that's already in place. The government has then turned around, and I believe this is infrastructure in New Zealand in the background saying this, and a couple of councils saying it, that councils will not be able to afford meeting these new standards. And what we're saying is we haven't even been faced with meeting these standards yet, so how do you know what the bill's going to be? And when all of us are saying, well, most 60 out of 67 said, we actually think we'll be able to rise to the challenge, but the government needs to come and talk to us about how we'll achieve it, um, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, what is going on in the background here. So the first part of three waters reform, increased standards and a national regulator, I don't think there's a council in the country that doesn't support that. The second, which is happening now, is who's going to actually administer the water um, and the entities, then there's huge opposition to that. Okay, can you tell us about this um, this government's governance structure of three water plan, if it goes ahead, if the government pushes ahead with it. Yeah. Um, this is probably the most contentious um, component of it because um, it it looks like you've got control until you look closer and then you realise you've got absolutely no control. Um, there's a positive component to it. It brings iwi into the governance structure, which I completely support. Um, and But that regional governance group, um, for the whole of the Naitari Takiwa, which is this section D that we're talking about in South Island. So basically it's a South Island minus parts of Marlborough and Nelson, and ironically the Chathams. Um, that is going to have um, six members from councils and six iwi members on that board. Now, there's 21 councils in the South Island, so how you pick the six that go on is going to be a bit of a bonfight, and there are many more than six runanga um, among Naitahu's um, group, although I, I would imagine that that's going to be a Naitahu decision, so it would be easy for them. Now, when you get into the North Island, you know, you've got, you've got one entity that starts in Wellington and finishes in Gisborne. What six iwi are going to be picked to go onto that board? I think that's going to be an issue going forward. Maori representation, I think, is not going to be as good as people think it might be. But anyway, once you, once you select that committee, that regional board, it then its only role is to select a selection board. And that selection board then goes on and selects the board of the entity. So you're already one step removed away from the board. And that selection committee's brief is to pick people who are experienced in three waters. 
so that has all the all the hallmarks of engineers wanting to have elected people out of the way. Now, the Council Ewe Collective Committee also has one two other activities to perform. It form it writes what's called the letter of expectation, and this is what we do now with council controlled organisations. So we write for the City Forest and Aurora, um, to Dean Venues Management Limited, and. You saw with the Aurora scandals how sometimes the letter of expectation and then the statement of intent, the, what the what the entity is going to do for you, can start to go awry and you can actually have really poor performance outcomes. Now, the difference between the water entities and a, and a current council-controlled organisation structure is that while that board made up of those six council and six EV reps will write the letter of expectation, the entity will read it and then may write a statement of intent. It doesn't even have to follow the letter of expectation. That's the intention at the moment. The other thing that the, that the committee will write was, will be the Tamara Otawai statement. Um, so that will be the statement around water and water management. Um, whether that's going to be written by the EV representatives alone or whether it's written by all 12, I'm not particularly clear of at the moment because that hasn't been clarified. Again, the entity will, will receive the Tamana Otawai statement and then may decide whether it will actually act on it. Now, that's bizarre in that in the Water Services Bill, it states that it must give effect to the Tamana Otawai statement. So there's already inconsistencies in, in what the first bill went through with and how they're planning to design this. But what I can really say to you is it will be more at arm's length than any council-controlled organisation that's ever existed. And it, it looks like it doesn't even have to really pay attention to what it's told to do by its owners. The ownership, and this I do want to clarify this, is supposed to sit only with the councils, although privatisation and anti-privatisation voting would sit with both the councils and the iwi reps. And again, that's kind of, no one's really designed how that actually works yet. And so we kind of feel that it's it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that the council will still own these assets when, when we have no control over them and, and, and even how the ownership is linked to you doesn't really make sense because when the asset, when the entity goes out to raise money, it effectively is the owner. So, so bottom line is we'll have very little control over it. People have found... Uh, with electricity, ordinary people, many ordinary people have found that they couldn't afford to pay for the electricity. Uh, they've had it, in the past, they've had it cut off. Now, it's not cut off as often now because it's politically, um, it just has a bad look. It could happen still, but it doesn't happen <clears throat> as much as it did. But people have had their water, their electricity cut off. People in any help really bad health situations where they actually, for their survival, needed electricity. Are we going to see the possibility of not only water meters, but paying for your water every month and choosing between how much, whether you're going to have enough water for baths and showers or whether you're going to pay your rent and pay your food bill? Absolutely. I mean, that's not even a, that's an absolute fact. Um, you will be receiving a water bill. And so someone emailed me once a while back and said, well, will my rates go down? And I said, yes, your rates will go down theoretically. Um, because, because around about a thousand dollars of your rate bill is your water bill. Um, 
but you will now get, you will now get a thousand dollar water bill. Um, and if you're a renter, I think this is the thing to really remember. Labor's doing this to you. If you're a renter, you will get that water bill sent to your address in the same way that your electricity bill is sent to your address. And you are the consumer in the eyes of the entity, not the landlord, which means renters will now get $1,000 put onto their cost of living when this, when this goes through. And I don't think you'll see your rent go down $1,000. Um, and over time, that $1,000 bill will turn into a $2,000 over the next 30 years. Um, will water get cut off? Well, currently the idea is that you would have water meters at every house. Um, interesting enough, Water Industry Commission of Scotland, who's been hired in to do a lot of this work, doesn't recommend water meters, and then they don't have them in Scotland. But for some reason, well, Scotland it looks isn't like one of the water meters. State. I mean, they actually believe in democratic socialism in Scotland. Although they did put this in place. Uh, yeah, well, in fact, their model is slightly different from what's coming through to this. But so they do what's called mass metering. And that's what I would suggest. That's more or less what we do now. So we just take the amount of water that goes out of Mount Grand and we put that over the whole catchment and say, well, that's the amount of house, that's the amount of water the average household uses. And in fact, we don't meter it in that way because um, we just take the cost of running the water system and then put that back through all the ratepayers. Um, this will be, you will get metered and you will get a charge. Whether you get cut off or not, of course, will depend on whatever comes next. But you will have to figure out how you're going to find an extra $1,000 a year to live on if you're a renter because you will get an extra $1,000 burden. All right, I'm going to play a, a song and then we'll come back to this. Um, there's a lot of things to discuss. And it hasn't been discussed uh, as far as I can tell.
The shadows sway and seem to say, Tonight we pray for water. Then don't you listen to him then He's the devil, not a man And he spreads the burning sand with water Dan, can you see that big green tree Where the water's running free And it's waiting there for you and me Well, friends, we, that was Marty Robbins' Cool, Clear Water, and we're talking with Jim O'Malley about the uh, Three Waters reform plan and some of the difficulties that people perceive with it. And you, Minch, um, there's been a report from one of the financial review companies based in New York on this plan. Could you talk about that? Yeah, thanks. Um, so when you go out to get credit and take out very large loans, you need to be, um, you need to, you'll get a credit rating. Um, and one of the biggest suppliers of credit ratings in the world are standards and ports. And their discussions with the government have been that they believe that if, that the significant amount of money is going to have to be generated in the form of loans. And they have said that they will not give councils the necessary credit ratings to go forward. And that it is, it's really their design which is forming the, causing the formation of the water entities because they are saying that there must be a separation between elected people and the running of, this, of these entities for them to be able to give the credit rating because they intrinsically believe that elected people are corrupt. So... These are guys in New York taking a general worldview of elected people across the whole of the world, transmitting it to New Zealand and saying that elected people are too corrupt to be allowed to be put near an entity. So therefore, they won't give a credit rating capable of getting the interest rates you want unless you form an entity which is separated from those elected people. And that's what you see in this governance structure. Now, isn't this one all of the-, the savings are coming through that interest rate difference. That's it. Isn't this one of the problems we're facing is in the modern world, the balance between democracy and neoliberal capitalism as practice, and in theory also when identity politics comes in, you've, you've got a balance between democracy and other issues. Uh, it seems to me that we may not be placing high enough value on democracy? I, I, I feel so. I mean, people would say that, that councils and councillors who are opposing this are sort of playing some selfish game of not wanting to lose their toys. And I 
I think that's that's a that's an unfair criticism. My my opposition to this is in fact that that exact kind of what you've said. I mean, I, I I don't like to overly use the word neoliberalism, but this has all the hallmarks of the stuff that happened during the Roger Douglas years and then during electricity reform later and neoliberalism was used to describe that. That hasn't it's worked effectively too well, arguing that market force not from my opinion. I don't think there's many people would argue that anything came out of that that was better. Um, students walk away from university with massive loan debt now. Um, public transport systems could run a hell of a lot better than they do. Electricity reform did not deliver cheaper electricity. And in fact, it ended up delivering poor use of, of hydroelectricity capacity. Lake Onslow could almost be argued to be a failure to run the Waitaki system correctly. Um, so... I don't think any of it is ever delivered, except it delivers very well for those who who are providing the service, I guess. And it's a belief system, really, in the end. So I think this is just the variant on that. And I, I really want to point out that the government, other than putting up the $2 billion it's going to put up for, for forming these entities, has been no intention of putting any money in. This is a user-pay system. Now, if that's not neoliberalism, I don't know what is. So the government hasn't changed that much. I think they're just the grandchildren of Roger Douglas, in my opinion. Um, I've always been listed as a disappointed Labour voter. I think now I'll just be listed as a never vote Labour again person. Well, well so, I mean, uh, and I am, you know, it is frustrating for me. I, I'm a I'm a, I believe that I've actually got a fairly good business acumen. I think Opta is a good example of that. I believe that business and economy can be run in societies that consider everybody and especially consider the most disadvantaged. There's yeah. nothing, there's no incompatibility there, but I don't see the reason that we put capital and bankers at the top of that. You, know? uh, you are a businessman, aren't you? Basically. I like to think so. And I think, but I, you know, I think that there's, I'm probably a bit of a Marxist as well, because I don't think they're necessarily incompatible. Okay. How much opposition is there to this? Any beyond the city councils, the local body councils, who have to deal with it? I don't think that the people. I don't think people know what's coming, um, and I would congratulate the government on a particularly good PR scheme. They have laid down the laid down the image that in fact the whole system is falling apart. That councils have deliberately failed to perform all these other things because in order to attack your enemy, you must hate your enemy. And so they've, they've done a really good job of, of denigrating the role of councils in your community. And, and the media has not picked this up, I don't think, as, 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 as important as issue it is. In fact, you're, you are the first person to give me an interview more than five minutes long on this. So when the people wake up, then the opposition is going to be huge. Is this going to be an election issue, perhaps, by in two years' time, or two, in a year and a yeah, um, one of the reasons that the pace is as fast as it is, and by the way, they're never meeting their deadlines. This should have all been done by now, which is another thing to keep in mind. If this is a work of geniuses, then why are they constantly not meeting any of their deadlines? But they wanted it done and dusted by the end of this year, so it wasn't around in time for the local body elections because it will become a local body election issue. Um, and they definitely wanted it done by the next general election. And what we're saying to them, and a lot of councils are saying back to this government, is have faith in yourself. Slow this thing down. Turn it over four to five years. 
so we can really come up with models that are really good and that everybody will be happy with and you won't lose the next election. But if you push this thing through, you're going to alienate a lot of people. So absolutely it's an election issue and that's the reason it's going at the pace it's working at. There's been... I understand the DCC, the Indian City Council, is opposed to it, but there's been disagreement on how to oppose it. Can you talk about this a bit? Well, you broke up there, but are you saying that the DCC's united of disappointment, but um, different approaches have been exercised inside the council? I'm saying that uh, it's unclear uh, just how the city council stands on it. And I'm, it's clear that there's a lot of disappointment with the reforms and the fact that they've made, the government's now decided to make them obligatory and not, and not voluntary. But uh, there might be disagreement on how to approach the government and how to... Uh, question the reforms or oppose the reforms? I think I think that's a fair summary. I mean, I would say that there's nobody in the council who is saying that they're happy with the way this has gone down. Um, and there's general, there's general agreement that that the um, failure of the government to pay, to actually genuinely go into dialogue with us um, in September and October is an extreme disappointment. The difference an approach would be um, that one group believes that the only way in which to get a good outcome with the government is to engage with them and let the government and effectively our our local government New Zealand as the as the as our agent um, talk about how to move forward. Now I'm not in that camp because I don't believe that the government's engaged in anything which would be called meaningful negotiation. I believe, in fact, that they have just gone forward with a plan. Um, they somehow hoped that we would align with it, and then when we didn't align with it, they just carried on. And so if you take that approach, then you are already at the point where you've agreed to the formation of the four water entities because, there's no, because that approach and those proposing that, that approach have not, do not agree with us going back and halting this at the point of the formation of the entities until we can design them going forward. I'm on in the other camp, which says that the government, in my opinion, has failed to negotiate in good faith with us and that the only way to get them to the negotiation table and negotiate in good faith is to stand in opposition at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that you stay in opposition all the time, but this is a standard it's a standard thing seen in trade unions, a standard thing seen in business. If you feel that you're on the wrong end of a deal, you've got to do something to bring the other side to the table. And my position at this point is to go into direct opposition with the government and say that you are not being democratic. If they listen and come back to the table, then that opposition will go away. And what we would like to talk about is how do you set up the things that you're talking about? They're saying that you can get greater efficiencies if you have bigger size entities. And we agree that you can, but does that mean you take the assets away or do you do something like you have an Otago Water Authority that's got its main office sitting in the DCC, that Clutha puts money into it, Waitaki puts money into it, CODC does, and when they go to build a water treatment plant, they use our specialised staff. They still own their assets. 
And then, you know, when if Dunedin grows, and I believe it will, we'll probably have to get our next big water source out of Lake Mihanarangi, which is in the Clutha district. So we would have to come up with a plan that works with us and Clutha on how to do large infrastructure builds and large infrastructure spends. We can do that without having to take the assets off each other. And that's the model we were halfway through when, when the government just said, oh, we've looked at all these models and we're not interested and none of them work. And... And I would argue that, well, I'm basically trying to revive that model to use it as an example as to where we could go going in the future. And I, I, the other thing to remember too is that the, the role of mana whenua here is an important role and, and te mana o te wai cannot be ignored. We have often given no credit to the quality of water when we've done this. Um, now, you'll be aware that We've got two voting members now on the Infrastructure Services Committee from each of the Runaka. Now, we're about to have that first meeting in February, and I would say it would take a year for those members as it takes for any councillor to get used to what's going on on that committee. But once they are, they'll have a far, far um, more nuanced understanding of where the city goes with its infrastructure than you will if you're sitting on this governance body two arms lengths away from a group of people that don't even have to pay any attention to the Tamana or Dawai statement. So I think that we can achieve that internally and almost every council now has those voting members on their committees. And I'd like, we can enshrine that in the local government act if we wanted to. So I'm for it. And I just don't think that the myth that they're going forward is going to deliver. So all in all, it's just, a, it's just, I just want them to come back to the table and talk to us about how we get through this, how we do this properly. You're fairly evenly split between the people who want to negotiate with the government yes. and don't, don't want to oppose and people who uh, want to negotiate with government but do oppose the present plan and feel that uh, they have to oppose it fairly strongly in order to get an actual negotiation from the government. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about... Uniquely so. I mean, Christchurch is not, Member Cargill is not. Um, we are. And I, I, would, I would ask the other side, how, what, is, what is this rather tepid negotiation that local government New Zealand is doing? How's that serving anybody any good? You might as well just let the government do what it's going to do, I guess is my case. And I just I think we're in transitly positioned on that now. Do you think the what are the chances of the council changing its positions? Is everybody hard and fast one way or the other? Um, well, it, for me, it would have to mean that I would have to agree to the formation of the four water entities to go towards the mayor's position. And for the mayor, it, and and I think I, I wouldn't like to say that I'm the leader of a group, but I do think that I carry most knowledge in that group and. Many of many of the people who voted along those lines have said to me that they look to me for a lot of the information. And the other group, I would argue, is probably coalesced around his worship, and it would require for him to um, change his position on the relationship between local government New Zealand as being our representative and us representing ourselves. Um, yeah. And if we can't change those positions, they're going to be too far apart to join. Um. Why does he take this position? You'd have to ask him that. Okay. 
He's on the National Council for Local Government New Zealand. I believe that they went into this in good faith. I would also say that I, seeing this coming, said that this will not work, that you will be played by the government um, and they will basically just do what they did. So now they've done what we've done. You know, we're, 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 we're eight months down the course that we should have been on and and we're in a place where I don't know what. I mean, I, I do know that there are already challenges going in the High Court and, and that there are councils that are working together to try and slow this down just so we can get the government's attention. If this gets within the next year and is within sight of the national elections, I believe we'll get the government's attention. That's all I want. Okay, I'm going to play a song and then we'll come back. Cool.
We're talking with Councillor Jim O'Malley about the three waters reform and the opposition to it. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and going to community or chaos. Uh, Jim, will, are we likely to see people paying for water like they now pay for electricity? Is that a, quite a possible outcome? Sorry, broke up there, Are we likely to see people paying for water as they now pay for electricity? Is that a, a possible outcome? Uh, at this point, it's not a possible outcome. It's a certainty. Um, and, and That's not been a good experience. That's one of my main That's not been a good experience for a lot of uh, ordinary people. No, and I, as I said before, currently, I mean, you still do. I mean, currently, you do pay a water bill if you have a property, but that goes to the property owner, um, and it's part. It's basically almost half of your rates bill, and that's true for any council. Um, about half of what council takes in for, for rates is water. I'm in that um, situation, but this will come as a separate bill. I'm in that situation, but I still think it's fairer for m- most people. Uh, to pay for their rates. Now, I think we could have questions about rates if we had, that's another all-day discussion, but... Uh, well, and that's probably where there's been historical underinvestment and councils that, you know, and I'll bring up Clother as a good example here. They're very proud of the fact they have no debt. Um, and it's always been a big debate going forward, you know, for councillors and years and stuff. But the problem has been that by doing that, they ended up underinvesting in their three waters. Isn't that one um, of the problems with um, conventional neoliberal economics? Is you should have no governments, in particular, should have no debt. Yet, often uh, investing in things like infrastructure, like water, like um, electricity, power, or like transport, by borrowing money and paying for them ahead of time. You actually save a lot of money in the long run, and you've got a system that may be working. Well, exactly. And if you think a water asset has a 75-year lifespan um, on general, um, so um, to pay for it in real time really doesn't make much sense. You really should. You don't buy your house in real time. You don't slap down a couple of hundred thousand, few hundred thousand dollars that you've been got in your back pocket when you buy your house, do you? You buy your house with a loan. So people say we should be acting more like households. And I'm like, well, Infrastructures like your like your house, you buy it with debt and then you pay it off over time. Okay, how much opposition to uh, this um, bill, bill is there, and how aware are, for instance, people that they actually what's happening to water maybe become similar to what happened with electricity. How, how aware are people and how much responsibility do local bodies have for raising awareness? And are local bodies doing this out of uh, respect for democracy and um, public ownership of assets, or are they doing it because they just want to preserve their local 
um, power set? Um, I'll start with that one first because I think that's 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 probably the crux of how you would always assess what somebody's saying is what's their motivating reason for doing it. So those who would want to go forward with these four water entities will say that councils are just merely saying this because they just don't want to lose this asset because it'll be half of their infrastructure, it'll be half of their spend has gone out of their hands and therefore it's an ego issue for them to lose this asset. Whereas I guess I would say that my opposition is that that this asset um, is so important to the day-to-day living of people of Dunedin or any any local authority area that to lose control of it is to lose a big democratic component of your day-to-day living. And therefore, at, at the moment, if you feel that you're really upset about what's happening with your water systems, you can still contact me. And I, whether I have much influence or not, at least there's somebody you can contact who is involved in the governance and the strategic direction. When this goes to an entity, you will be able to get it to an 800 number staffed by a person who has no control whatsoever. And that will be in terrible loss. Apparently, Leon Delzil, the mayor of Christchurch, and a former Labour MP agrees with you. Is that true? A little bit. She's probably the least. Uh, the deputy mayor um, and the head of infrastructure in Christchurch and I have become quite good friends over the last few months as we've started talking about this. The Christchurch City Council as a group is strongly opposed to this. Leanne, I think, is caught between old loyalties and her responsibility as mayor. But she's doing what her council says, so catching up. Um, okay, what's going to happen uh, in the short term? Well, the some of the bills required to support this activity are trying to be rushed through before Christmas. Um, and... And the Department of Internal Affairs is putting up, putting together what are called onboarding teams that are going to go into the councils and start working on the process of dismantling the water activities inside those councils and bringing them over to these new entities, even though the legislation hasn't passed yet. Um, I don't think that much will happen now before Christmas. And again, this is a good example of the Department of Internal Affairs having really ambitious timelines that they don't meet. Um, so it'll swing around into the, into the first quarter of next year. Um, the government will try to put through the Water Services Entity Bill and that will make these entities law. Um, the idea is that they will be put in place in 2024. Given that they haven't met any of their timelines yet, that's probably 2025, 2026. And I'm kind of hoping that during that period of time, there is a, a government in place that will be able to reverse some of this and bring us back to where we wanted to come to, which is, how do we stop you getting a water meter in your house and still make sure you've got good water, right? How do we achieve local control and achieve the outcomes that we want, we all agree we want? And we, those of us who oppose the entities are simply saying the neoliberal models never work. Why would it work this time? How's the Green Party on this nationally? Well, Eugenie Sage is definitely against it. Um, and I would say the Green Party is the only major, well, no, actually, sorry, only party I could vote for um, that, that has got a position against it and nationals against this too, but I have a feeling that might just be to be in opposition. Um, and I would actually say right now the pressure I would put on Labor, as I would suggest a lot of people like me who were as a Labor Green voter last year become a Green Green voter this time around. And if the Greens would actually put up a position of saying that they would like to 
support the councils in negotiating correctly with the government, then I would go out there and say to every Labour voter that, you, that is on the fence on this, vote Green in the next election and give them a coalition government. Okay, thanks a lot for coming on board and we have a good discussion and I hope a lot of people will think about this issue and we'll make sure they're heard. Thanks Marvin, it's been a pleasure. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.